Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Happy New Year. I hope you guys didn't stay out too late. I stayed up till 10. So I'm a bit more of a rebel than Matt is. <laughs> well, in the movie Soul, Joe is a jazz musician who is obsessed with making it big time. All he wants to do is play jazz with the bigwigs instead of enjoying his life as a music teacher at the local school. Well, unfortunately, Joe dies and meets a disgruntled soul in the afterlife named 22. Um, and through a series of events, he refused to believe he's dead. And through a series of events with his soul friend, 22, um, he comes back to Earth. And Joe actually ends up in a cat's body. And 22 ends up in Joe's body. They try, to, um, they try to go back to Earth, and as 22 becomes philosophical about life, the conversation turns to Des, who mentions that he never intended to become a barber, but because of his daughter's illness, he decided to go to barber school instead of veterinarian school, which was much more costly. Both Joe and 22 seem confused, uh, because they're convinced that Joe was born to be a barber. I mean, he's so good at it. How could he not be born to do it? But for Joe, it's the beginning of the chipping away at the obsession that he has with fulfilling his life's dream of becoming a professional musician. So perhaps you felt like Joe. Maybe you have been hanging on to a dream for so long that you're certain you can't do anything else. Uh, perhaps like um, over half of college graduates, you're not using your degree. Uh, maybe you have tried to get good at something and it didn't work out, or maybe you're just unhappy with where life has you right now. And if you're a Christian, you're bound to come across the idea of having a calling. Now, generally speaking, a Christian describe a calling as a certain task or a role or a vocation that God calls you to. Um, it's the idea that this calling is hidden and you have to find it. Um, and you have to discover it. But what if I told you that I think we've got calling all wrong? Could you be okay with believing that God might not or doesn't have a grand, big, special plan for your life? What if he has something better? What, when we look at scripture, what does scripture actually say about being called? So as we press into 2023, I want to tackle this idea of calling. People use the new year to make changes in their lives, whether it be financial changes, health reasons, or maybe even changing jobs. The new year offers us a time to reevaluate and reflect on our lives. So I think it's important that we take a closer look at what it really means to be called and how it can reshape us. So we're going to start with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul loved words, and he especially loves these words, call, calling, or called. Let's look at a few verses. He wrote this to his protege, Timothy. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In Ephesians, he writes this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
And even Peter, another apostle, chimes in. He writes, his, Jesus's, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we think of being called or calling um, in relation to have a specific job or task. Maybe God is calling us to be a missionary overseas or a nurse or an electrician. Even though the words call and calling and called appear over 50 times in scripture, I chose these three verses because I think they give us a broader and better and more accurate idea of what it means to be called and means something that's actually not a job, a task, or a vocation. And we will get to that. But first, we need to ask ourselves the question, where did this idea to equate calling with work come from? How did we get to a place where being called means God has an individualized, customized plan for our lives? It almost sounds like I'm redoing a kitchen. I think it's helpful to look back at history for a few moments and see how this idea evolved starting with the early church. So the early church just understood its calling as allegiance to Jesus. Calling at its basic definition meant you became a Christian. You followed the ways of Jesus. The idea of calling being a job, task, role, or vocation actually has roots with Martin Luther, the proponent of the Reformation. Uh, during the Reformation, Luther uh, decided that there were two types of calling. One was the spiritual, um, which was to God, and then the other one was the external, or how Christians should operate um, in society. Other prominent Christian thinkers like John Calvin actually agreed with this idea of calling, but believed that God kind of assigns us stations in life, while Luther believed that we should just be content with where God has put us. This is the cauldron in which the idea of calling has been cooked and provides the backdrop for how we as modern Westerners understand calling. The idea of calling over the centuries has been largely shaped by society and from the perspective of social class and order. And with the exception of the early church became known as an alignment with someone's work. There's no shortage of um, ideas in the Christian sphere today about calling. Um, there's an array of books, podcasts, courses, and tests and even websites uh, that claim to help you find your, uh, discover your calling, like the very unoriginal findyourcalling.com. Uh, you can take a six-question quiz or a 60-question quiz and find out very quickly exactly what you're meant to do for the rest of your life. So I took it, and here are my results. Yeah, it looks like I um, missed my chance to be three different types of engineers and make like four times as much more money. Right? The internet knows me so well. It knows all of you too. But this is sometimes how we feel, right? Did we miss the chance at what God is calling us to do? Is God mad at us because we can't find it? Are we living in sin? 
Like 22 says, how do you even choose a passion? What if you choose wrong? It seems like having a calling from God can actually make Christians feel much more anxious. Is that what God really wants for us? But we still use the lingo. We still cling to this idea. Why? Well, I think there's actually a couple reasons. Uh, First of all, uh, despite our anxiety over finding our calling, I think it actually comforts us. Um, God has plans for me. I am unique and specially created. Psalm 139 says that God knit us together. He knows every stitch, every fiber that makes up our being. But this doesn't equate to being called to anything. It just examines the depth and the breadth of how God as our creator knows us. The idea that the God of the universe has assigned a specific task, uh, a role to me, can make us feel loved. It makes us feel seen and known and safe. Second, the idea of calling cells. The idea that God has assigned us a specific task or vocation is great bait for marketers, and Christian marketers are no exception. Jeremiah 29.11 has exhausted its welcome on graduation cards and home plaques. This is God's plan for me. I'm walking in God's will for my life. That's what we run, right? And that's what they give us. Except in Jeremiah, God is actually speaking to the nation of Judah. Judah was to be a light to the nations, and they weren't doing a very good job at it. This is not an individualized call. It's to the entire nation. The church is just as susceptible to consumerism as anyone else, and it doesn't have to be material for us to bait and hook. It can be something as simple as an idea, like God has a plan for my life. Put it on a mug or a t-shirt and you feel really validated. So let's ask the question, are we using calling in a biblical way? Are we being faithful to what it means throughout scripture. What about all those people like Abraham and Moses and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Paul, who seemed to be called in the Bible? What do we do with these people? Well, what we see is there's actually a difference between being chosen and being called. God does choose people for specific tasks in scripture, except the better word to describe these people would be that they are chosen because um, calling lingo like felt called, sense to call, or I feel a call isn't used here. Instead, what the biblical writers are doing are describing what God is doing, and they make no indication that we should expect the same for us. Scripture doesn't give us any reason to assume that this is an expectation from God. The ordinary people of Israel were just to follow God and his commands. However, we do see an exception when it comes to calling language used in a broader and less individualized sense in the New Testament after Jesus. Uh, We see that the New Testament writers believed calling to be three things. First of all, loyalty, calling is loyalty to Christ. For all of the struggles that the early church endured, they seem to get this one right. Calling was allegiance or loyalty to Jesus 
above everything else. It is about unity with Christ, accepting God's invitation to follow Christ and live as he lived. It's basically becoming a Christian. Uh, one of my heroes from this time period is a woman named Perpetua. Uh, Perpetua was a noble woman um, and a young mother in the third century, and she became a Christian in the Roman province of North Africa when the emperor was arresting and killing people for being Christians. Perpetua understood her calling in this way. You were loyal to King Jesus and not the emperor. She was thrown in prison and martyred at the age of 22. And while she was awaiting her trial, her father would bring her infant son to her so that she could nurse him. And her father would beg her to reconsider and renounce Christ for her son's sake. But she wouldn't do it. She chose Christ above everything else. And she died side by side with her slave, Felicitas, who was also a Christian, and both women have solidified their place as martyrs in Christian history. Second, calling is corporate. Being called is also about being part of the church as brother and sisters in Christ. If we revisit uh, Paul in Ephesians when he writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, he's not talking to you. He's not talking to me. He's actually talking to the church in Ephesus. The you in that verse is plural. You might rephrase it as uh, y'all live worthy of the calling y'all have received. When we decide to follow Jesus and become a part of the church, the assembly of people commissioned and commanded to go out into the world to tell people about Jesus. We are called to work together in God's redemptive work. Thirdly, calling is about identity rather than a job. Now, some of you probably uh, find great satisfaction in your work, and that's really great. You should keep it up. But what we fail to realize is that our identity is not in our job. It is in Christ. Yes, I am a mom. Don't get paid for that. So we should stop calling that a job. That is work. I am also a barista and a writer, but those are the things that I do. My identity is in Christ, which means I follow Christ. I do what he says rather imperfectly, and he shapes who we are both as individuals and part of the church. Calling is about being like Christ. And while that's going to be harder than any job ever, it is much more freeing than trying to figure out what job God wants me to have or where to move or where to live. We speak of finding our calling or discovering it like it's an Easter egg hunt. But God has already revealed himself in Jesus Christ it's been written down for us in scripture, and all we have to do is live it out. So Luther claimed we have two callings, one spiritual and one external. And despite what Luther says about having uh, us having two callings, if I can disagree with the proponent of the Reformation, I think we only have one, and it's to Christ. Calling does not equate to a job, a task, a role or a vocation in scripture, it doesn't and it can't. 
because if it does, we have some very big theological problems. For example, what about people who just can't sit around and wait for God's call? Uh, like Des, he couldn't afford to go to veterinarian school because his daughter was sick. Do you know, if you ask an ancient Israelite, what is your calling? What do you think your passion is? Do you know what they're probably going to tell you? Making sure my crops don't die. Making sure my son or my daughter lives past the age of five. Calling and passion were not at the forefront of ancient people's minds as they are today. Uh, for many people worldwide, this is still their reality. They simply can't afford to or don't have time to invest in God's call. They have to keep the lights on. They have to keep food on the table. They have to keep living. If our theology or what we think about God is true, in this case, that he has a special plan for all of our lives, if that can't benefit everyone, what good is that? We have to be willing to look realistically at situations. Perhaps the better question would be, how can I stay faithful to Jesus during this time of hardship? Also, calling language is sometimes used to describe people going into ministry like pastors or priests um, or preachers. And while Luther did push on this idea, this type of calling language indicates that there's like a hierarchy of gifting as if those people working in the church actually have a greater or better call than others. And that's simply not true. The playing field is level when it comes to gifting. All people benefit from gifts that are used in the church. When we conflate the idea of calling with vocation, this is actually where we might miss what God wants to really do in our lives. Like Joe, we become obsessed with what the call is and what to do instead of who to be. Uh, this is what happened to me. I remember sitting in my band class. Um, I was a junior in high school. I was 17, and that's the year that the teachers tell everybody, oh, you have to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is just really bad advice to give teenagers whose like, brains aren't even formed yet. It's terrible advice. Um, and I was sitting there, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to go to seminary someday. I don't know what I'm going to do, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just want to go. And even though other vocational possibilities arose, that was the one thing that I held on to. And I think at some point, uh, I had convinced myself that God had called me to go. So I graduated high school. Um, I went to college for a little while, got married, had four babies in four years. There they are. And became really irritated if God had called me to go to seminary, why was I doing this? Trying to keep everybody alive, changing poopy diapers, doing all the mom things. What was going on? Every day, I would ask God, please give me a sign. Make all the stoplights green. Or I would open my Bible, and you know, I don't know if you've done this, and no judgment if you have, but you know, you close your eyes and you open your Bible and you just kind of like point to a verse and like that's supposed to be the verse that like tells you what to do. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> That's bad advice. Don't ever do that. But for a long time, I did not understand that the greater and better plan is to Christ, to follow Christ. 
I am learning how to be patient as being a mom and a wife. I am learning to be a better listener um, as a barista surrounded by people who are different than me. I am learning to protect our neighbors and keeping the peace. In all of this work, there are opportunities to become more like Christ. He uses anything to sharpen you and make you more like himself. So what now? Um, If we're not called to a specific task, but God calls us to Christ, what does that mean for how we live? Many of you uh, actually believe that you are called to be, you know, doctors or managers or teachers, and I've suggested that perhaps our call is bigger than that, and maybe you want to meet me with uh, pitchforks in the parking lot later, and that's okay. We don't have to ask God for green stoplights all the way to work or fast wondering what God wants us to do. There's actually plenty to do. Let's revisit what Paul writes to the Ephesians. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So how can we all live a life that's worthy of God's calling? What does that look like? I have three ideas that I hope that you take away with you today. Uh, First, keep Christ's commands. So the Apostle Peter is actually uh, one of my favorite apostles. He's like so brash. He has no filter. He says whatever's on his mind. Uh, But he's like Jesus' puppy dog. You know, he's following him around, always wanting to know where they're going and who they're going to fight. But Peter denies Jesus three times before Jesus' death. And after uh, Jesus' resurrection, John actually tells a, go- tells a story. John's gospel tells a story about what happens next. Um, so Peter and his uh, other apostles are on a boat, and they're fishing. And they're trying to catch stuff, and they've been on all night. They haven't caught anything. And the resurrected Jesus comes to the beach and says, hey, throw your net over the side of the boat. And, of course, they catch a ton of fish. And Jesus is like, let's bring those up and have breakfast. And so Jesus cooks them all a breakfast of these fish, and they're eating. And when they're done, he turns to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, of course. Of course I love you. Well, Jesus does this three times. And each time, Peter is getting a little bit more and more upset. And the third time, Peter's like, what? Yes, of course, Lord, I love you. Why do you keep asking me that question? And every time after Peter answers, Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. These are his commands. The three questions Jesus asks redeems and reinstates Peter as a follower of Jesus since he denied him three times. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, look at you, being a fisherman, great job, that's what I've always wanted from you. Don't worry about that denial thing, it's totally cool, I'm back, so it doesn't matter. No, if we're in Christ, we need to follow his commands. We are like Peter, We are redeemed and reinstated to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. His commands are not about what job to take or who to marry um, or where to move, but how to love and care for each other. They repent of our sins, to love God and others, and to give Jesus our full allegiance. Peter later writes, His divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need. 
for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Christ gives us the grace that we need to follow him as we are formed by him. Second, know what you're good at and get good at it. Just because calling doesn't mean a specific task, a vocation, or a role, uh, doesn't mean we're not gifted and talented. Um, God has given us gifts to use for the common good uh, and for the church. In fact, there are several instances in scripture where people are described as becoming skillful workers, like artists, hunters, weavers, designers, musicians, craftsmen, and more. And one of the places that we see um, God kind of telling people what to do is in the building of the tabernacle. And he didn't want just any old Joe. He wanted people who were skilled in their craft. Jesus himself would have likely worked with his father, uh, Joseph, as a carpenter or a stonemason. Jesus had to get skills. God cares a lot about how we develop our skills. Psalm 33 says that when musicians sing in worship, they should play skillfully. If he's gifted us, improving upon our skills can actually help us serve God and others better. So what are you good at? What mad skills do you have? What uh, lessons do you need to take? How can you get good at it? What skills do you need to sharpen? What feedback do you need to take to heart when you think that you might be gifted or something, but you're really not? Perhaps you don't really know how you're gifted or talented, and that's okay. There are ways to find out. Um, you can pray. You can take a gifting test, preferably not at findyourcalling.com. Uh, you can ask people who know you. You can try different things. Ask yourself what makes you mad and what change that you want to see in the world. Uh, at the seminary I'm going to go to, um, we have to do something called a spiritual autobiography. And the idea here is that you kind of look back on your life and see where God has brought you up to this point and how he might be forming you um, to disciple people. It's hard. And it requires a lot of hard introspection and honesty, but it's worth it to know how God has gifted you. But really, we find our gifts being a part of the church. Other people recognize your gifts. You cannot develop and discern your gifting on your own. This is the bigger plan. This is us being part of God's redemptive work, not in isolation and not just as an individual. Our calling is to Christ, to be a part of the church and use our gifts and talents for each other. It's also important to remember that our gifts and talents might take us places where we never thought we'd be or where we don't want to go. Uh, Jeremiah, when God chose Jeremiah to prophesy uh, to Judah, he didn't want to go. Mary was confused. Paul needed to be humbled. Abraham, the father of the faith, had to learn how to follow the Lord. So as you refine your gifts, don't be surprised if you find yourself somewhere you never thought that you would be. And thirdly, Trust in the Lord. Uh, for those of you who are newer to Rooftop, this is only my fourth time preaching here, and it was never my idea. Um, I didn't wake up one morning and go, oh, pastors Matt and Jeremy look like they are struggling. 
this should really need some help from a woman. Someone reached out to me asking me if I would be interested in preaching and after checking and making sure they had the right email address, I just took a risk. And since then, I've had a lot of people uh, ask me that question, you know, which is fine. I love talking to people, but they ask me, so what are you doing? What's your plan? What do you feel like God is calling you to do? And my answer is always, I have no idea. I don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing because I know that the greater and the deeper call is to Christ. Regardless if this is my last time preaching here, if I never finish my Hebrew lessons, if I never finish seminary, if I lose everything, the greater and the deeper call will always be to Christ. Whether you are single or married, whether you are young or old, whether you are employed or retired, the calling to Christ is constant. It is better to trust him fully in all aspects of life than it is to expect him to reveal a hidden plan to you. So how do we trust God? Well, the biblical answer is we know him. But how do we do that? If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know him. But how? Well, the very famous verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In Hebrew, though, sounds a little different. The Hebrew translation reads, Through all of your ways, know him. The writer of Proverbs is actually indicating that we know God through obeying him. And this is actually how the Israelite laws were supposed to work. Uh, after God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he gave them the law or the instructions um, to follow him. But these laws were not just to be followed. They revealed the very heart of God. They revealed what God actually cares about so they could learn to trust him and learn more about who he is. When we follow God's command to love the foreigner, we see God's love for all people. When we are generous with our time, our money, our possessions, we see how God shared his world with us. When we feed and clothe others, we see how God really cares about our practical needs. When we do these things, then we understand who God is. And our paths are straight. Now, straight paths uh, in scripture do not mean easy. They are actually a metaphor for uh, a person or their personhood or their lives. If I'm on the straight path, that means that I am obeying God. I am following his commands versus being the crooked person or being on the crooked path where you were relying on your own understanding and your own wisdom. The straight path is the one of obedience to God. It's the one that seeks God's wisdom in everything that you do. Living out our callings as Christians requires us to trust God. We trust his wisdom. We trust his ways and his commands. And even when we don't like them, even when they're hard, but he gives us the grace to do them. So what are your goals for this year? Are you going to get healthy? Are you going to make better financial decisions? Are you going to come to church more? 
Whatever you are going to do, make your resolutions. Get to a healthier place if you need to. Slay those goals, as kids say. But do it with the perspective that you're in Christ. The God of the universe loves you, and he has called you to himself through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be anxious. He wants you to trust him. We trust God by, give, by obeying his commands. We give him our full allegiance. We work in our gifting as a part of Christ's body. Your calling isn't about your job. It spills into every aspect of your life, your relationships, your finances, your time, your gifts, and your talents. Let's remember Paul's words to Timothy. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, all y'all. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This year, how will your allegiance to King Jesus, your holy calling, change the way you live your life? Happy New Year. Let's pray together. Lord, we are often very distracted by what you want us to do. On top of everything else that we have uh, to make decisions for in our lives, we become very anxious and distracted, and we miss our holy calling. Thank you that you have actually made it plain to us that Christ has come that it's been written down and that we follow Christ no matter where we are in life. And thank you that you give us the wisdom to make these decisions and that you love us and that you will reorient us if we have made a mistake. I pray for everybody here today that we would be able to continually look to your wisdom for all of the decisions that we have to make, that we would keep at the forefront of their minds that we have a holy calling and it is to Christ and you are there to help us along with that. Thank you for being the God who loves us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and your resurrection and that you help us live out this holy calling. Thank you that even through all of the hard things, you are there to help us. We don't know what 2023 is going to bring. We have no idea. We can make all of the plans. We can do all of the things. But I pray that as we go forward into 2023, that we don't forget and remember that we're called to Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting us be here today. In Jesus' name, I pray all of these things. Amen.